0: That Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your spot to watch the Capitals march to the Stanley Cup. Plenty of TVs and beer selections. Game
1: 5 is tonight at 7.30. You can also catch all of the NBA playoffs at Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best
2: way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. And now Carrasco ready,
3: about to throw his 58th pitch. On the way, swinging a long
2: drive deep left field, way back, going, going, and gone. Goodbye! Bang! Soon goes Riley Adams with his
3: second home run of the season, and the Nationals now lead by the score of two to nothing. Here's the set. Edwards deals. Swinging a line shot off the glove of Bell deflects into foul ground, and this could score two. Headed home, Alonso Davis to the plate. soto's going to pick it up and run it in as runners end up on second and third. So a bad break there. That ball deflects off the glove of Bell, trying to make the pickup, and the Mets tie the game on a two-run double for Jeff McNeil. The one-two pitch, swinging a fly ball right field. Soto drifting back now, moving in. He will make the catch. Escobar's coming home. Soto's throw to the plate is up the first baseline. Escobar slides in with a go-ahead run, and McNeil is over to third. Sacrifice fly for James McCann, and the Mets have scored three in
0: the inning to take the lead, three to two. And welcome to Nats Chat, May 11, 2022, along with MassinSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, there are all kinds of stats that we throw at you with this game of baseball. How about this stat regarding the Nats in this 2022 season? The Nats this season now are 0-14 in games in which the team commits at least one error. Now, we know that errors aren't the end-all, be-all for judging defense in baseball, but geez, 0-14 when committing at least one error so far this season. And the latest loss, unfortunately, Happened on Tuesday night. What ended up being a 4 2 Nats loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park in game one of a three game series. Patrick Corbin was good for a third consecutive start. We certainly don't want to lose sight of that, but. There was a sloppiness to this game, both in the field and on a base pass for the Nats, that was rather off-putting. We know, Mark, that Davey loves to talk about the little things. The little things were not good things for the Nats on Tuesday night. So I was just
1: going to ask you, if they're 0-14 when they commit an error, what's their record when they commit an error and make an out at the plate? Probably not very good. <laughs> probably not very good. And unfortunately, both those things have happened a little too often. Remember, oh, probably after the first week of the season, when we were saying, man, how great has the Nats defense been? Yeah, that didn't hold up. Unfortunately, uh, it has not. And that wasn't really the reason they lost this game. The the last run was unearned because of a Michael Franco error. Earlier, you had a D. Strange Gordon error. But you you also had Juan Soto making an ill-advised throw all the way to the plate when he just needed to hit the cutoff man. You, again, had a runner thrown out at the plate. You had D. Strange Gordon thrown out trying to steal second. It's just where they're at right now, especially when they're playing a high-quality opponent like the Mets are, They really cannot afford to make any kind of mistakes like this because the margin for error is very slim. They need to get good pitching. They need to get clutch hitting. But there's only so much of that they can count on. So you can't help the other team out in any way. And unfortunately, in this game, they helped them out way too much.
0: Yeah, and I thought actually the worst defensive moment for the Nats, or at least the most key negative defensive moment for the Nats, was a play on which an error was not charged. Coral Edwards Jr. made his... Nats Major League debut on Tuesday night. More on that in a bit. Uh, But he ended up giving up three runs in the top of the sixth inning. And the big blow in that inning was a one-out game-tying bases loaded two-run double by Jeff McNeil on a well-struck ball that got past first baseman Josh Bell. Now, Bell made a backhanded attempt at the ball. This was not an easy play to make, but it is a play you'd like to see your first baseman make. He doesn't make the play, and the result ends up being a game-tying two-run double. Not an easy play, not an error. I don't want to kill Josh Bell for that. But a good defensive team, I think, makes a play like that. And instead, the result ends up being the biggest hit of the game.
1: So I'm looking at it right now. The expected batting average on that ball, 580. So, yes, it's probably a hit, but it's not a guaranteed hit. It's a play that could be made. There's a guy who played first base here for a long time, wearing number 11, you feel like he would have had a shot at it. Certainly, the guy who played first base before him, named Adam LaRoche, probably makes that play. This is what you live with, with Josh Bell. You're not counting on him to make the above average plays. You're just hoping he makes the plays that he needs to, that he makes the scoops on the bad throws. And for the most part, he has done that so I, i don't want to get down on him but yeah when the margin for error is that slim it's not just that they are making errors but how many times have we said this year boy that was a great play by the defense to prevent a run from happening to bail out the pitcher it's happened a few times here and there but probably not enough and that's one of those where it it certainly could have happened. Now, Edwards had gotten himself into a jam at that point. Uh, It was already going to be tough on his part to get out of the whole inning without at least somebody uh, crossing the plate. But if you can get a little help from your defense, it does make a difference, and he didn't get it there.
0: Yeah, the two actual errors by the Nats on Tuesday night, Mark referenced one of them, Michael Franco, in a Mets one-run ninth committing a throwing error on a leadoff grounder by Mark Canna. And then the other error on Tuesday night came from the Nats starting shortstop in the game, D-Strange Gordon. He's down 0-2.
3: C-Sheck throws. And a chopping ground ball toward the shortstop. Strange Gordon, he's in into his right to
0: field. And the throw is high, pulls Bell off the bag, and the sweep tag is missed. He in the top of the seventh committed a throwing air on a leadoff grounder by Mark Canna on an 0-2 pitch from reliever Steve C-Sheck. So grounders from Mark Canna were problematic for the Nats on Tuesday night. By the way, why D-Strange Gordon at the uh, shortstop and not OCD's Escobar?
1: So, Escobar was initially in the lineup and he was scratched uh, probably about an hour or so before game time. Turns out he had a swollen left index finger. And according to Davey Martinez, there was an infection maybe under the nail, something that had to be addressed. Guess it was fixed up and they hope that he's fine on Wednesday, but that sounds like a little bit of a nasty situation. You know, nothing. Serious, no serious injury, or anything like that, but just something that I guess was preventing him from being able to play. He tried to say that he could maybe grip the bat, you know, nine fingered, like the way that uh, Trey Turner did in 2019. Fortunately, all due respect, Alcides Escobar is not Trey Turner in a lot of ways. So I don't know that that was worth the risk of having him try to play the game with only nine fingers gripping the bat.
0: Yeah, uh, not this season. Alcides Escobar ate Trey Turner. I think that's pretty clear. Well, we had many years ago in baseball, three-finger Mordecai Brown. Maybe we could have nine-finger Alcides Escobar this season. I don't know. Something uh, like that. So, with the base running blunders for the Nats on Tuesday night. So, we mentioned Michael Franco had a throwing error. He also had another big hit with a runner in scoring position. You know, he's done a good job in those predicaments uh, so far this year. So, Franco on Tuesday night was the Nats' number six batter. Went one for three. With an RBI double, he and the Nats one run fourth at a two-out opposite field RBI double to the right center field gap for a one nothing Nats lead. But on that RBI double was Yadiel Hernandez getting thrown out by a mile at home for the third out. Bell is
3: scored. Hernandez trying to score. The throw home from McNeil is in time. And Hernandez tries to avoid the tag and then he gives up. And McCann tags him out on the chest.
0: A great relay by the Mets cuts down the second runner. Nationals take the one nothing lead on the Franco double. Yadiel had reached base via a force out. Mark, it feels like this has happened more than it should this season. Nats base runners getting thrown out by a mile. And uh, at times at home. You know, like it's one thing to get thrown out. It feels like this has happened, I don't know, two, three, four, five times. A Nats base runner has been thrown out by a wide margin. And you say to yourself, what happened on that play? And this was another instance of that on Tuesday night.
1: Yeah, it's happening a lot, especially when you have a new third base coach, because part of the knock on the previous one was that he had too many guys thrown out at the plate. So, yeah, that has been a little bit uh, of a concern here. And, you know, Davy's explanation was essentially that there's two outs, acknowledging that they have not been scoring runs, especially at home, and so they are going to try to be a little bit more aggressive. I get all that, but again, situational. You have to know who you're talking about here. Gabriel Hernandez, not the most fleet of foot uh, that they have on the bases. I don't know that he's the right guy to try to do that with. Now, maybe you say, hey, it's two outs and the odds of D. Strange Gordon driving him in are pretty slim, but you never know. You never know. And it's not worth it to you know risk having a, an out at the plate. And it's not like that took a perfect relay. To get him out, they the Mets turned it well, but he was out by five feet. He didn't even slide because he he knew he was out by so much. He just had to like stop and try to avoid the tag. So um, that was not a good one. It has been happening too much, and I, I feel like this may be a product of uh, everybody, not just the players, but the coaches as well trying a little too hard to make things happen for a team that's not scoring a lot of runs. I do want to go back to Franco real quick, though. You mentioned he's been pretty clutch for them. He's hitting 387 with runners in scoring position. So let's give the man some credit. I know we kind of talked him down going into the season as sort of this de facto third baseman after Carter Keboom got hurt. And certainly he's not you know, playing at an all-star level or anything like that, but he has come through more often than not in big situations, one of the few guys who has. So I want to give him credit for that. He has been one of their better hitters situationally.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you go by RBI, he is number two on the Nats with 17 runs batted in on the season. And we know
1: that's what you go by. That's your evaluation. All
0: the time. It's it's the ultimate tell of who's good and who's not. Uh, <laughs> uh Josh Bell is number one uh, with 21 RBI uh, on the season. Uh The other base running boo-boo for the Nats on Tuesday night, D-Strange Gordon, bottom of the seventh, a beautiful two-out bun single and a great bun our third base, so I want to give him credit for that. Uh, but he then got uh, thrown out uh, trying to steal second base for the third out of the inning. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It's graduation season, and so that means it is Window Nation's graduation sale. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment: call Window Nation and get to the head of the class with zero percent financing. For five full years, 60 months, and get two free windows with every two that you buy. Window Nation windows are the best. They are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available. Vinyl, wood, fiberglass. Price quotes are valid for six months. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over 60 million dollars On energy bills, call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask Window Nation for the graduation sale that you heard about from Al Galdi. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and get the special offer. Mention my name, Al Galdi, when you talk to Window Nation.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
3: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price,
0: Priceline. On
2: three and one, the pitch. Swing and a line drive center field. Robles coming in, still coming. He's going to get there. And he makes the catch in shallow center to retire the side.
0: So Corbin walks the tightrope again for the third straight inning and gets to the other side. Patrick Corbin was good on Tuesday night for a third consecutive start. Now, kind of comes with a caveat, you know, depending on how you want to classify a start, whether it's good or not. But given the bar at this point for Patrick Corbin, I think you count what happened on Tuesday night as a third straight good start. Uh, Corbin on Tuesday night, five scoreless innings, five strikeouts right there. I think you sign up and take that. Uh, if you're a Nats fan, going into the game. Now, he did issue four walks. He dealt with a lot of traffic on the base paths over his five innings, but they were five scoreless innings. He gave up just three hits, all of which were singles. Uh, He threw 51 strikes versus 35 balls on 86 pitches. He only had one clean inning, which was the top of the first. He spent the rest of the outing uh, being Houdini and trying to escape innings without giving up runs, but he did. He did a nice job. Uh, He tossed a scoreless top of the second despite issuing a leadoff four-pitch walk of Pete Alonso. Corbin tosses scoreless top of the third despite giving up a two-out single to James McCann and despite giving up a two-out single to Brandon Nemo. Corbin tosses scoreless top of the fourth despite giving up a leadoff single to Francisco Lindor, who then stole second base, and despite issuing a five-pitch walk to Pete Alonso. And Corbin tosses scoreless top of the fifth despite issuing a leadoff seven-pitch walk of Jeff McNeil and despite issuing a one-out six-pitch walk Of Brandon Nimmo. So obviously, way too many walks, a lot of traffic on the base paths. He only lasted for five innings, but he gave up no runs. And since that horrendous start in the 7-1 loss to San Francisco at Nationals Park on April 22nd, seven runs in one and two-thirds innings, he has been better. Uh, 3-2 loss to Miami at Nats Park on April 28th, three runs, two earned in six innings, but he was better than that final line indicated. Corbin had eight strikeouts in that game And his previous outing was the complete game effort uh, in that performance at the Colorado Rockies last week. So, you know, we're not going to do a thing on is Patrick Corbin fixed or not. Okay, we need to see more. But since that wretched outing against the Giants, he has been better.
1: So his ERA after that start was 1120, if you remember. And everybody was reacting to that like it's the end of the world and Is he even going to keep his spot in the rotation? What are they going to do with him? And we discussed all that right here on the podcast. Well, in just three starts since then, he's lowered the ERA from 11.20 to 6.06. Now, obviously, a 6.06 ERA is not even close to being anything good. But he's essentially trimmed it in half in the span of three starts. And so what I would say is we've gone here from Patrick Corbin not pitching like a big leaguer to pitching like a competent big leaguer. Now, that doesn't mean he's pitching like an ace, doesn't mean like he's you know looks like a front-line starter again, but he's giving them a chance. And from where he was not that long ago, that's a huge bonus for them to get back to that point. Now, you hope he can sustain it. The interesting thing here is, all three of these starts and, and four of his last five, when they've all been good, have been with Riley Adams behind the plate. And Davey pretty much admitted it. Now, he is his personal catcher. Adams is going to keep catching him as, as long as this keeps working. They're working good together. I like it for whatever reason, they have clicked. It has worked out for them. And it does create some interesting dilemmas as they move forward, because now you have to schedule Adams around Corbin's pitching schedule, as opposed to say, well, Riley's always going to catch the day game after the night game. So what we may have here is Cabert Ruiz starting Wednesday night and then potentially coming back and starting Thursday afternoon in the series finale. He's a young catcher, you know, easier to do that with him than with an older guy. But for right now, the benefit of getting the best you can out of Corbin is outweighing anything else, and that's why Riley Adams doesn't keep catching him.
0: So, I was trying to think of other instances of personal catchers with the Nats over the years. Gio Gonzalez and Kurt Suzuki, was that one of them?
1: Corbin actually had Jan Gomes catching him pretty much throughout the 2019 season. So, that has happened. Yeah, uh, Suzuki really didn't catch Corbin very much during that season. So, you know, yeah, we've seen it happen from time to time. It's not, I don't think any manager prefers to have that because you want to have the flexibility of going with whoever is available, whoever's hot, you know, managing your catching schedule, like I said, with day games and night games and all that. Or you don't want to ever be in a position where now you have to force a guy to catch a pitcher and they haven't worked together at all. But, Like I said, in this case, given where Corbin was and what they've been able to get out of him these last few starts, you're going to do anything you can to keep getting this out of him. And if that means Riley Adams catches and Caber Ruiz sits, you're going to do that for now.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, if you need to have Brian Schneider as your catcher with Patrick Corbin, you do that. Okay, like whatever you got to do to get this guy fixed, to get this guy on track, you go ahead and do. I think what's interesting about the dynamic is this is the first time, really, that the Nats have had what you would call a potential franchise catcher or stud catcher writing K. Bear Ruiz. Like, it's one thing if you've got a Kurt Suzuki, Jan Gomes timeshare or something like that. This is a little different. Like, K. Bear Ruiz is here to be a foundational piece. And, you know, it's probably not the greatest look slash feeling for your biggest money starting pitcher, your quote unquote opening day starter, uh, to not. I don't want to say not like throwing to K-Bert Ruiz, but to prefer throwing to K-Bert Ruiz's backup. So, I think the uh, the politics of this, the dynamic of this is interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. You're right. And, you know, if Corbin was pitching like the ace of the team and you'd say, "Oh, well, OK, going into the next season, like you're going to have Riley Adams be your opening day catcher because of that, that's not a great look. But again, they're just... They're in a desperate situation right now. They're going to do whatever they have to do for it. I don't think Kbert, knowing him a little bit and knowing you know his lack of experience, that he's going to take any offense to it at this stage of his career. And let's give Riley some credit. He hit a home run uh, in this game and, and has started to do a little bit more at the plate than he did uh, earlier in the season. Now, he has not looked as good as he did last year at the plate, but he is contributing. He has shown some power. And... If he can coax five scoreless innings out of Patrick Corbin, you throw the egos and everything else out the window. You take that right now and you keep running with it until it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, that was an impressive homer by Adams. Came in the Nats one-run fifth, a one-out full-count solo homer to left field, put the Nats up 2-0. Uh, Adams was down to the count of 1.02, worked the count full, and then hit the home run. Uh, it was another largely ho-hum night for the Nationals offensively. Uh, the Nats in the game... Score just the two runs, get just the eight hits, uh, work just one walk, uh, one for two with runners in scoring position. I mean, just two at-bats with runners in scoring position the entire game. Cesar Hernandez went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. You know, it's interesting with Hernandez because you could argue, well, as a leadoff guy, he's been all right. He's had a bunch of hits. He's batting 271. He also has an on-base percentage of just 307. Like, he doesn't work walks. His only means of getting on base really are singles, which are nice, but... You know, I mean, it's it's worth noting that. His on base is, is close to being what his batting average is. Uh, Juan Soto's in a bit of a run, at least by his standards. He went one for four with a single on Tuesday night. Soto, over his last four games, a mere three for 17 uh, with three singles and one walk. Uh, Josh Bell did go two for four with two singles. Nelson Cruz did go two for four. With two singles. But, you know, we wondered about, all right, the bats came alive during that nine game road trip, especially in like the first half of that nine game road trip. Seems like things have kind of calmed down uh, since that nice run there for the Nats offense. So, you know, we'll see. We don't want to overreact to every little game here, but it felt like the offense was getting going. We've seen some games here lately that are very reminiscent of the time in the season in which the offense was struggling.
1: Yeah, and maybe it's a case of facing some better pitching. Carlos Carrasco, you know, did pretty good job in this one for the Mets, but you know, Soto just is not really right at the moment. I mean, he saw came up late in the game in the 8th inning representing the go-ahead run at that point. Tying run is on first with two outs. The Mets bring in a lefty, Joey Rodriguez to face him, and he pops up on the first pitch and Soto's reaction, he just stood there. At the plate with his hand on his hip almost like he couldn't believe it like he was just kind of dumbfounded about what's going on i, I wonder what's going through his head right now he just isn't having those kind of classic Soto at bats that we've been used to that make you feel like he owns that batter's box it's been a little more defensive lately he's getting a hold of one every now and then it's not like he's completely uh falling apart and gone into a slump but he's just not coming through as much as you would think, especially in situations with runners on base. Now, you look back last year, and he got off to a slow start, and we were worried about him really until the All-Star break, and then he took off and had the historic second half of the season, so I'm not really worried about him in the big picture, but he's just not quite there yet, and that is hurting the team. Josh Bell's done a great job, but he needs Soto to be on base and to be driving in runs himself. Nelson Cruz had two hits, so he's starting to show some signs of life, but It's hard to see how this team scores a lot of runs without Juan Soto being a big part of it. This lineup is not built to function without Soto uh, in a huge role. And to this point, he's just not quite where you think he should be.
0: No, I mean, we brought up Michael Franco batting as well as he has batted with runners in scoring position this season, 387. Soto, zero eighty-three batting average with runners in scoring position this season. And it's not like he's worked a bunch of walks with runners in scoring position or anything like that. And, you know, with runners in scoring position, I think you always have to be careful. Small sample size, you got to let the season uh, evolve and breathe. But, yeah, I mean, so far, it's been an odd year for him. His overall numbers aren't bad, but he's not having the impact that, you know, uh, that Juan Soto is capable of having. So we had some bullpen news uh, for the Nats on Tuesday. Uh, the Nats making multiple roster moves on Tuesday. Regarding the bullpen, uh, the Nats selected the contract of veteran reliever Coral Edwards Jr. from AAA Rochester. Coral Edwards Jr., the former Chicago Cubs reliever. Uh, the Nats also optioned uh, reliever Andres Machado to Rochester. And the Nats transferred reliever Mason Thompson to the 60-day injured list. So there's kind of a lot to chew on here. Uh, So Mason Thompson, it's interesting that the Nats are playing the Mets. It was in a game against the Mets at Nationals Park on April 9th that we had that scary scene with Mason Thompson. Top of the eighth, he throws three pitches. He, after his third pitch, which was way off, is shaking his right arm. He gets taken out of the game. He gets uh, placed on the 10-day injured list with a right bicep strain. And now he has been transferred to the 60-day IL. So uh, I want to get your take on where we're at with Mason Thompson. And then with Carl Edwards Jr., so again, veteran reliever name, most people listening probably have heard. He had been outstanding at AAA. I didn't realize this. He had been dominant for Rochester this season. 14 and a third innings. ERA is 0-63. 17 strikeouts versus four walks. Now, you know, he didn't look dominant on Tuesday night against the Mets, but Machado down, Edwards up, and Mason Thompson to the 60-day I.O.
1: All right, so with Thompson, I think it's just evidence that he's going to need some time. I mean, he's not really doing much yet, throwing yet. Uh, And once he does, it's going to be a long progression until he comes back. And he is a guy who's had Tommy John surgery in the past, so I think they want to be a little more cautious with him than anything. But it's notable that they keep moving guys to the 60-day IL, and the one guy they haven't done it with is Steven Strasburg. (laughs) You can read into that however you want, but I think they're trying to at least leave that option open as long as possible on the chance that maybe he is ready to come back before I, sometime in the first week of June is when the 60 days would be up. So, if there's any hope of him coming back before that, they at least have left themselves open to that possibility. So, there's that. Machado, I kind of didn't realize how well he had pitched here. Uh, ERA in the twos is a pretty low whip. He just hadn't pitched in over a week. So they wanted to send him down. He's one of the guys who has options so you can do this. Uh, Let him go get some more regular work at AAA. And I'm sure we'll see him again uh, as the needs warrant. But Edwards kind of forced their hand with as well as he's pitching down there. I mean, he'd only given up three hits in 14 and the third. Now, he ended up giving up three hits in his first inning of relief for the Nationals. And that's not good. But again, you want to talk about notable who is getting the call and who isn't getting the call. Uh, Tyler Clippert again, is being passed over by other guys, and it's evidence that Clippard has not quite gotten himself to where he needs to be, that they think he's big league ready again yet. He's been better. He has pitched back-to-back days successfully, which was an important thing for him, but he still has had a couple of pretty weak outings. The walk rate's been pretty high there, so I think he's not quite there yet, and they're going to hold off until they think he is ready. Edwards, uh, you know, I don't know about you, my first image of him, and I'm sure a lot of Nationals fans feel the same way, is giving up a towering home run to Bryce Harper in the NLDS in 2017.
3: There's a drive to right, no doubt about it.
1: Tiger! Prior to that point, he was really good for the Cubs. Big part of their World Series bullpen in 2016. Davey obviously knows him. Jim Hickey had him in Chicago, so they like him. They saw the numbers. Matt Lecroy, the manager at Rochester, said this guy is pitching really well. Go ahead and call him up, and they did, and they threw him right into the fire. I don't know that I loved putting him right in there right away in that spot in a two-run game, the sixth inning against the heart of the Mets lineup. Maybe give him a little bit of a softer landing back in the big leagues, but Davey said they liked that matchup. He was looking at who else was available, who wasn't available. He felt like that was the right guy for that situation. didn't work out. We'll see how he does now. It's He's bounced around a lot the last few years. Edwards has had some injuries, uh, some ineffective performances with several franchises. You know, Maybe they catch lightning in a bottle, but based on what we saw in the first outing, not a whole lot to get excited about
0: there. No, I mean, it wasn't pretty. He gave up a leadoff opposite field single to Peter Alonso to right field on a 1-2 pitch, gave up a single to J.D. Davis up the middle on an 0-2 pitch, issued a one-out six-pitch walk of Eduardo Escobar to load the bases, Then came the one-out game-tying base. It loaded at two-run double by Jeff McNeil. And then uh, Edwards gave up a one-out RBI sack fly to James McCann for a 3-2 Mets lead. You know, it is disturbing here what's happening with Tyler Clippard because the assumption was that he was going to be called up very soon into the regular season. That has not happened. And, you know, here we are now well into the month of May and it's kind of like, okay, like are we doing this with Clifford or aren't we? But, you know, the other thing with these Nats injuries, going back to Mason Thompson, boy, the Nats have a lot of guys dealing with longer term injuries this season. I mean, you start with Steven Strasberg and Joe Ross, right? But you think about the Anibal Sanchez situation, the A. Ray Adrianza situation, the Sean Doolittle situation, the Mason Thompson situation. These are not, you know, one or two week ailments. You know, you hear about Ten-day injured list. It feels like ain't nobody uh, going on the IL for ten days this season. Everyone who like goes on the IL, it's like this uh, this black hole, this abyss you get sucked into, and you like disappear. I-, I mean, like Mason Thompson, that's a name that we hadn't even uttered in weeks right like no like you said no updates you're not hearing anything about them so yeah it's been a bad run here with these injuries it's one thing to have a lot of guys banged up but if they're back relatively quickly you can live with that so many of these nats injuries are becoming longer term injuries this season
1: and i'll add another name to that list is hunter harvey who you know initially when he went on the il thought that he'd be throwing you know within a matter of days and uh, maybe even be back within the 10 days when his time was up. Well, he hasn't come close to coming back yet and um, doesn't sound like he's, you know, on the verge of it yet. So, yeah, they have taken longer. We talked all along about the short spring training. Is that going to cause injuries? Is that going to affect guys that maybe that has something to do with some of these cases? But, boy, they the roster that we thought we might be seeing right now, is not at all the roster we are actually seeing for better or worse. You hope that we will see them here as we get to the summertime. But yeah, these are some longer term IL stints than maybe initially
0: we thought they'd be. The Nats are lucky. And I say this while knocking on wood and crossing my fingers, but they're lucky that they really haven't had much in the way of like starting pitching injuries this season, right? Like Strasburg and Ross. Yes, but we knew their situations going into the season. Corbin and Gray and Dodone and Fetty, you know, even like Aaron Sanchez, like these guys are staying healthy. And it's a good thing because if they weren't, this really could get ugly. You know, Not not that it's been pretty so far, right? But at least these guys are making their starts every five days. Like the changes to the rotation have had to do with, you know, you take Josh Rogers and you put him in the bullpen. It wasn't because like he was hurt or anything like that. Knock on wood, the Nats have enjoyed health so far with the starting pitchers who began the season on the major league team. If any of those guys start to go down, uh, then the Nats really could be in trouble.
1: Yeah, no, you're right that all the decisions so far have been performance-based, not health-based, which is a good thing. And uh, and really, you know, the lineup, again, knock on wood here, other than the key boom injury in spring training, They've avoided any kind of other major issues that's knocked anybody else out for any length of time. You hope that continues to be the case. But do you acknowledge that things happen over the course of a season? A starting pitcher is going to get hurt at some point. That just is the way it works. A member of the lineup is going to get hurt at some point. It's the way it works. For now, it's mostly been confined to the bullpen, and they've been able to weather that storm. But at some point here, you need to start getting guys back because the depth is running a little bit thin organizationally. Uh, there's only so many guys that you can call upon when somebody does go down.
0: You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats podcast, at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. Hit up Tim Shovers. Again, the address is Nats at gmail.com. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could take like 30 seconds to write a brief one or two-sentence review saying how much that you like, the Nat's Chat Podcast. That's very much appreciated. The ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, and we appreciate all of them. Uh, all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are a courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Game two for the Nats against the Mets at Nationals Park on Wednesday night at 7.05. Aaron Sanchez uh, will be the Nats starter. He'll oppose Tyler McGill. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Look at him. Look at him doing the
2: Throw. Yes.